0: Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
1: We never even gave ourselves a chance to use our phones differently. We just adopted these habits. So I think very often people are pleasantly surprised. You put your phone in the other room, you do stop thinking about it. I think we were told how we should use this stuff based on the people who created it. And now we're kind of going, hold on. No. <laughs> this is imposing on my life in a way that I wasn't ready for. It's sprinkling itself across every aspect of my life, and I don't want it to.
2: Well, we've all been pushed around. Hello, and welcome to It's we Complicated, the, the podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. Left our hearts in the lost and found. I'm Tanya Goodin, and each week, I'll be talking to my guests about how they manage the relationship with the tiny tyrant in their pocket. We'll be talking about how our phone habits affect our work, our lives, and our loves, and about what our relationship with our phone might just tell us about our relationship with ourselves. If you want help and you want hope, you've come to the right place. This is It's Complicated. I'm delighted to be chatting this week to psychologist, behavioural change specialist, speaker, coach and author, Sharu Azadi. Sharu provides relapse prevention coaching and support groups at a recovery house for young women in addiction and also delivers sold-out workshops designed to help people change any habit on their own terms. Her work has been featured on BBC Radio 1, in The Telegraph, Forbes... Marie Claire, and much more. Sheree's book, The Kindness Method, promises to map your habits, set your goals, and treat yourself with the kindness you truly deserve. So, Sheree, hi. Hi. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's really timely, actually, that I'm talking to you today, because I just found out this big piece of research came out yesterday about our phone habits. And what was really interesting is one of the stats that came out that said that we're spending 50 days a year now online. Wow. And that's up about 10% in the last two years. A week a year on Facebook and a week a year on YouTube, which would be fine, wouldn't it, if we were all really happy about that. (laughs) But what was interesting about the research, which I kind of scrolled through, was four out of every five internet users said they're worried about how much time they're spending online. Uh, And I found another bit of research from a year ago that said that 62% of UK adults said they hate how much time they spend on their phones. Mm. So I want to talk to you about habits as you're the habit expert. So why Mm -hmm. is it so hard for us to change habits when we really, really want to? Because that research seems to show that people are unhappy about that one aspect of their life, about how much time they're spending online and on their phones. Well, I think when it comes to tech specifically, first of all, we need to remember, as you
1: well know, that some of these things are actually designed to be addictive. So they're playing on what we already know about human nature and, and, and habit-forming activities anyway. That aside, of course, I think one of the other reasons is that people tend to focus on the negatives of their behaviours rather than thinking about what purpose they're serving in their lives. So very often when people come to me, the main headline, if you will, when it comes to what they need help with, is that they know exactly what they want to change. and Technically speaking, they know exactly how to change it. They just don't understand why they're not capable of doing it. And I think when it comes to tech and our phones being online in general,
2: that has become
1: uh, more and more of an issue with the people that I work with, certainly.
2: So do you think it's okay even to worry about it? Because your, your background is working in, you know, hardcore addiction Mm. young women that are recovering from alcohol and drugs Mm. is part of the problem do you think that it just feels a bit like a middle-class problem you know oh we're all worried about spending so much time on our phones and is it a bit embarrassing to think that we can't do anything about it
1: Mm, I don't know I think more than anything it's normalized and it's unprecedented so there aren't even any like general guidelines at this stage I mean luckily people like yourself are doing work that helps us in that direction but for the most part no one knows what healthy relationship with tech looks like yet and so it's very difficult to sort of navigate that and there are so many benefits that we're getting from it too that it's very hard to draw a line between when just like with every other behavior when use turns into abuse if you will mm. and so I think that that makes it a little bit challenging and I think people do normalize it because everyone's doing it a lot of the time From my point of view, having moved into behavioural change in general as opposed to addiction specifically, I believe that if it's consuming you and if it's taking more from your life than it's giving, then it's a big enough problem to be um, worried about. And for me, I don't really tend to discriminate between the substances. Once you take things like physical withdrawal out of the equation, I think really the The questions we should ask ourselves about how good or bad a habit is are dependent on the impact that that is having on our lives on a day to day basis. How much we're thinking about it, whether we're obsessing, whether we're behaving compulsively and impulsively, whether if it was taken away, we would be in notable discomfort. These are the criteria that I would usually use to identify whether something is um, a bad habit, if you will.
2: So we need to take shame and embarrassment out of the equation completely. Because I get a lot of that when I talk to people. It's kind of like, I'm really embarrassed that I can't, I can't mm. put my phone down. And you think that's not helpful?
1: Oh, never. Absolutely never. I mean, I'd go for, I, never. I don't see how, it doesn't give you any insight into why you're doing it in the first place, first of all. Mm. So it's just mean. You're just being cruel to yourself. <laughs> Even if we took it from the angle of saying, okay, how can I actually change You beating yourself up about it isn't going to help you change. I think you understanding how motivation works as a concept and how these products are created to be habit-forming as a concept means that you can give yourself a lot more compassion and gain some insight and forgive yourself, essentially, for having developed these habits in the first place and realize that you're one of millions at this stage. And there haven't been any guidelines and it was unprecedented. And what were you supposed to do? So I don't see why guilt and shame should come into it. But people do tend to have their own sort of rules about what is an acceptable bad habit and what isn't. Mm. I mean, I've got clients mm. who have overcome addictions to um, the highly addictive drugs, much more addictive than sugar, technically, physically speaking, who find it embarrassing that they're struggling with sugar and that mm. that's the one thing that they can't crack. So I, I don't think there's a place for shame or guilt anywhere when it comes to habit change, personally. I mean, needless to say, this is just my opinion. But no, no, no.
2: (laughs) So your book is called The Kindness Method. Yeah. And I I suppose I, I used to think that if we were trying to motivate ourselves to do something, I kind of was always... I suppose, brought up to think about the carrot and the stick, you Mm. know, that whenever you're trying to do anything, you need a stick that kind of beats you Mm -hmm. to achieve it and a carrot to kind of motivate you. So would you say that one of the kind of principles of the kindness method is, and changing habits generally, is that we need to forget about the stick, that it's all about the carrot? Is it all about finding kind and positive ways? Is Is there ever a place for us to say, this is not good enough? I think a stick can get you going. But I don't think it keeps you going
1: because ultimately I feel like what builds the kind of resilience you need to change habits and to be in front of something that is difficult for you and overcome that difficulty in a way that you're ultimately proud of and that changes your habits in order to have the resilience to do something challenging like that. I think we need to feel positive and hopeful and like we have confidence in our capacity and our worthiness to achieve ambitious goals. And I just don't feel like those are aligned with the spirit of beating ourselves up about things and tough love and mm. things like that. Don't get me wrong, obviously in addiction, we know that rock bottom is something for a lot yeah. of people, etc. Yeah. But again, I wouldn't say rock bottom is enough to have you living in a sustained, meaningful, purposeful way long term in terms of the new habits you create. I think it's enough to get you going. and bring to the forefront of your mind the severity of the situation, which may have developed quite subtly. So I think it has its place at the beginning, but I think it loses its place very quickly when we think about habit change as more of a holistic approach to well-being as opposed to just an isolated
2: exercise in trying to change one tiny thing in our lives. So what are the tools then that we need if we want to change a habit? I mean, if we think about it in relation to tech use Mm -hmm. and phone use... To all the people who are listening, who are saying, I do feel a bit embarrassed about the fact that I can't put my phone down or mm. I'm not all that happy that I'm spending a week a year on Facebook. Where do they start? I think the first place to start is to remind yourself that
1: an urge or a craving or even what would appear to be an automatic behaviour is not forcing you to act. There is a gap between wanting to do something and actually doing it mm. and deciding that that urge is an alert a predictable alert as opposed to a command I think is really really important and it can be very empowering to check in with yourself and notice when you have that craving that impulse to check your phone etc and just notice whether you can acknowledge the desire to do it without following through with the action Another way of doing that, of course, is to impose friction, to impose obstacles between wanting to do something and actually doing it. So, for example, what I do is if I know that I'm working late into the night when I'm at high risk, for example, of ordering in food that's not great for my brain <laughs> or am I I've anything. I've there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I realized was that deleting the Uber Eats app was not enough. I needed to log out and remove my card details from it. I needed to create as many steps so that it would give me some time to think about what I was doing, think about what might be in the fridge, think about what other options I might have, think about whether I'm even hungry or I'm just trying to soothe anxiety about the fact that I've got to a paragraph that I can't pass through. Just give myself a chance to think. And I think that when it comes to impulse control and what we think are automatic pilot behaviors, so often people make profound changes when they realize that they just didn't give themselves a chance to put space in between wanting to do something and actually following through with it. So I would say that in a big way. And I, and I think also remember that whether it's food or alcohol or tech, ultimately these are things which do benefit us and they do have a positive impact on yeah. us on yeah. us as well. So I think don't beat yourself up about being confused as to where the line is for you between what it is to genuinely enjoy them for what they are and what it is to try to use them to avoid and distract
2: from physical or emotional discomfort so how do we know though when that point has been reached because I think so much particularly of tech is mindless it's kind of people you know putting their heads up and thinking whoa I went online to check a work email and two hours later I'm down a YouTube black hole you know at the end of a week or at the end of a month how do we know whether we've used it healthily or we're happy with I tend to
1: identify the sorts of things that I think are worth it for me. So like on a Sunday afternoon, I do like to get lost in a YouTube hole. And so I allow myself to,
2: Mm.
1: you know, I put time aside to decide when is it really of value to me? And that's the way I distinguish. Whereas if I'm doing it reactively or because I can just feel like I don't want to be doing something else that I know I need to do. We can feel it. I think a lot of the time we can. And there's a bit in my book where I talk about a client who really identified that well when he went to Italy because he was you know he's loving all these things wine and coffee and sugar and they, he loved them and he wanted to continue to consume them but he noticed that his behavior of comfort was also his, his behavior of abuse so it was really hard to distinguish yeah. and so he said that when he feels like he's getting into something truly getting into something then that's fine with him but if he feels like he's using something to get out or get out of it if you will. Yeah, to change your state, to change yeah. how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe you want to look at another coping strategy that you might find more meaningful and maybe one that you get better at, you know. That's that's how I tend to mix up my coping str- strategies personally. I'm never really going to get better at getting lost in a YouTube hole. <laughs> um I will probably get better at meditating or exercise, etc. I won't get better at drinking my tolerance will increase, but I love drinking. So the idea is that if over time you want to continue to enjoy all of these habits that could be good or bad, then to be discerning about which ones you use for what is really, really important, I
2: think. So thinking back about the whole kindness thing as well, not just about, I don't know how you feel about this, about affecting other people's habits, not just our own, Mm -hmm. but one thing that I do get a lot of when I talk to people is that they don't like their partner's phone and tech habits which may be a distraction from thinking about their own habits but I do get and parents and children so how do you help somebody else I'm sure the first thing you're going to say to me is they have to think that they've got (laughs) a habit that they want to Um, like are there ways of kind of subtly nudging people or or getting people to look at habits that they may not want to look at themselves is it a different approach when it's not I think
1: compassionate curiosity goes a long way without having an agenda really you know, I know that there is ultimately the agenda is to get that person to spend less time on their phone, but to have a curiosity about it. Because the likelihood is that they're not going to be defensive if you are standing shoulder to shoulder with them and observing the habit as it's emerging, as opposed to coming to them with a solution to a problem that you've identified that they have, which invariably I find makes people quite defensive. Yeah. As you said earlier with the statistic, the likelihood is that they don't want to be on their phone that much. Mm. So I think to ask them, what. What's your favorite thing about your phone? You know, ask the positive questions. What are you getting from it? What's your favorite part of it? What would you be afraid of if it wasn't around as often? To have a genuine, curious, compassionate look at why they do what they do, as opposed to thinking that drawing their attention to the negatives is going to be
2: something new to them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because as you say, they probably know it all already. Of course course they do. We all do.
1: And I think a lot of the time when it comes to habits, we all know the... The negative stuff is something that we, we can all kind of share. There tends to be a common consensus. What's bad about drinking? What's bad about too much screen time, et cetera, et cetera. When you ask yourself what's good about it, what you get is some uh, bespoke insight into what coping strategies you require personally mm. and what ultimately what problem you're trying to solve because, as I often say, when it comes to unwanted habits, what's now a problem was once a solution to something. Um, and may still be a solution to something it may be something like boredom for example you know or it 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 may be that you really are getting that hit that we're so familiar with with thinking that someone else has liked a photo of you or even I noticed myself I went on Instagram about a year ago almost exactly a year ago when my book came out and I was always I I never wanted to go on Instagram because I was always so conscious of my body and suffered so badly with anxiety and needing external validation that I thought god this is a breeding ground for that Mm. stuff you know But I went on and I I just decided I would have these rules. So, for example, when I post something, I don't just delete Instagram. I log out.
2: So is that so you can't see the comments? Yeah. So you kind of detach yourself from,
1: yeah. And then the next, whenever it is, whether it's a few hours later or the next morning or whenever I've decided, usually when I feel like I'm going to be at my most resilient and making my best decisions. Yeah. So I might have done some exercise. I've, I've had a coffee, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'll check it and I'll go through it. And I'll address that as I would emails. But the constant checking all day, I find, is very, it's really anxiety inducing for me. And I've had to put rules in place. I've also organized my phone so that apps are organized in folders according to times of the day when I should be using them. What brilliant idea. I've never heard of that. Oh,
2: really? Yeah, that's really neat. That was, yeah, that was So what, you have like kind of morning, afternoon, so evening would be leisure, would it? Yeah, just the fun stuff and then weekend stuff.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, I just find myself dancing from one app to another. Yeah, I've got like AM chilled, AM
2: bored. It's like having a playlist, isn't it? Exactly. It's like your own Spotify playlist, but it's your phone. Exactly. I really like like that. And it also helps
1: me to truly have to ask myself, do you need to look at this right now? Or are you just used to looking at stuff? And the thing is, too, it isn't necessarily like this profound realization people come to that they're running away from uncomfortable feelings, etc. I mean, it would be unfair of us, I think, not to acknowledge that it's a problem of the Western world not to be able to sit with ourselves Mm, for the most part. And so we have been given this extraordinary elixir that just fills us all day with an, uh, an abundance and never ending now entertainment that's designed to hook us. So it is about us imposing these things upon ourselves because we are swimming against a real current here. And I think that's another reason why guilt and shame shouldn't come into it.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
2: So it's interesting you talk about the abundance and kind of surrounded by all of this, because I was going to ask you about the analogy with food, because I'm always really struck that, and I know you've written a lot about food habits and addiction, I'm always really struck that tech, for me, is much more like food than it is like alcohol and drugs, because we can't cut it out I mean we could if we wanted to be Mm -hmm. hermits and retreat from the 21st century Mm -hmm. and essentially a bit like food and overly processed food and sugar and fat and you know we are surrounded now by a constant abundance of um, digital distractions in the same way that we're surrounded by processed food and easy to get food and we weren't ever designed you know one of the reasons one of the theories about obesity is that we're designed to you know eat as much fat and you know high calorie food is possible when we see it because it's scarce and now it isn't scarce mm-hmm. so do you think it's a helpful analogy tech and food do you see any other kind of parallels between how we can deal with habits in tech that we might have already started using with food or yeah you know? i think so i think first of all it doesn't technically lower our resolve <laughs>
1: yeah so that's good to know compared to alcohol for example yes yeah um you're absolutely right in that we do need to continue to consume it and so Yes, I think it's it's a good one in that we need to create a way of being. And for me, for example, I've had to create a way of eating. And it's had nothing to do really with diets, even though it's designed to maintain a weight that I'm happy with. As you know, it's got nothing to do with nutritional value. It's got nothing to do with um, carbs and calories. It's entirely to do with the impact it has on my mental health and my general well being and the conversations I have with and about myself. And so that's how I've identified my way of eating. And that's also how I've gone to identify my way of using technology. Based on just sort of studying myself and saying, Shrew, okay, what parts of this are triggering you? At what points in the day should you be using this? Treating it like a drug. I have really identified the areas of my phone that give me joy. And by the way, they're not noble. I'm not talking about <laughs> mindfulness apps. Yeah. I'm talking, yeah. you know, Netflix and, YouTube. Mind- yeah. and mindless like, yeah. Reddit forums. I'm all for Reddit for I go on the dark net and read all sorts of harrowing things. <laughs> you know, that's my jam. That's what I get out of it. And I like it. But I've identified because those are the areas that I'm interested in. And that's what I want to watch and listen to. And so sometimes, you know, months and months ago when I'd be lying in bed, scrolling through twitter i used i used to love going through hateful people's feeds i wouldn't follow them but i had a list of people who i intentionally wouldn't follow but was following secretly you know you go looking for them yeah um probably the people what, to I'm...
2: see how hateful they
1: could be just to see what's going on on twitter yeah, yeah that was my distraction because i was seeing all these people every day telling me sad stories about their lives and it was almost like a way to desensitize myself you know i would go on there and when i identified that that's what i was doing i started thinking okay shrew you need a better coping strategy for offloading this stuff you deserve a better one than more negativity in the hope that overall what you hear on a day-to-day basis won't be as sad, you know. And so it was through um, my behaviour around tech that I came to understand that I needed more support. It's just where it kind of leaks out, you know, where your needs leak out. And a lot of the time now, because because we have our phones on us all day, the, way, the, the place it's leaking out is the way that we're using them. Mm.
2: Do you think some people find breaking habits, all sorts of habits, more difficult than others? Are there people who just need more tools or more you know awareness do do you meet people maybe you don't in your line of work that never have a problem breaking a habit for example
1: I think there are various theories I think in general the common consensus is that there is no personality trait that you can guarantee is going to be prone to adopting an addiction so that's a myth Uh, yeah for, for the most part that's what's said I mean we we can look at addicts and work backwards and say these personality traits tend to run through those who become addicted, so around impulse control and pleasure centers, et cetera. But for the most part, when people come to me, they think that they have addictive personalities, they're all-or-nothing people, and they carry around loads of core beliefs from childhood, that frankly we just don't have a framework in which to challenge and question again. So before you've even come to the question of whether you find it harder than anyone else, we need to discuss whether you know anything about motivation and behavioral change as a concept, which we're just not taught at school and I certainly don't think my parents had that very specific knowledge so no but I use a lot of motivational interviewing in in my work which is an approach very commonly used in substance misuse across the country and they have something called an importance and confidence ladder which is very often used to identify how ready someone is to make a difficult change and what you tend to assess as a a practitioner is how important is it to them to make this change how will their lives be improved as a result of it how can you bring about urgency to make the change when there aren't any immediate sort of negative obvious negatives and confidence how capable do they feel of being able to make the change and I would also add to that how worthy do they feel of being someone who achieves ambitious things
2: So does this does this all come down to self esteem then? Is is the kind of I think everything comes down to self esteem really? Because it sounds to me like you know if if you want to be successful at this, you you can't start with the habit. You've got to start with yourself. Is that what you're saying? You know, because you've got to feel capable, as you say, and confident before you can even. Start or is that a bit of a cop out? No, is that no.
1: A- <laughs> I'm actually, do you know what? Technically, yes, but I'm a very much let's start things for now and sort it out kind of person. So as we go along. Yeah, yes. I'm uh, I'm almost a cure via solution person. I think if you give yourself the chance to do a mission, you know, to complete a mission. In a set period of time and just get your head down and worry about that mission that you may find that you are giving too much credit to the habits that you thought had you in their grips Mm -hmm. and you simply have not tried to consecutively repeat a new behavior over and over and over again so i think in the first instance the only place where self-esteem comes in there really is to say self-belief more than anything really do i have the capacity to keep doing this over and over again until it's my new normal
2: I was going to ask you actually. I keep reading that there's a certain amount of times we need to do something before a habit yeah. forms. Is there any science behind that? I don't that? know.
1: I keep asking people that as well. I mean, obviously, I also read Outliers, and you read a lot about 21 days yeah, and the yeah. Buddhists. If I think you do say something it for three that weeks, amount of time, yeah. then you've completely cracked it. But I is don't that know, true? Tanya. To be honest with you, although I wish I could, I wish I was more sensational and I had better answers. But frankly, I think when it comes to humans we're all going to be completely different Mm. you know and it 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 also depends on the length of time you've been engaging in that habit the relationship you have with it the associations that you have across your life with it i would hate for someone to think that a habit that they've been engaged in for 25 years every single day that's playing a profound role in their lives if they didn't manage to you know completely change their behaviors in three weeks they should think or then this failure. is just going to work for me. Yeah, yeah. no, I just, I just think that we need to kind of approach this with compassion and in a very like, in a much more zoomed out sense, whether it's talking about what relationship do I have with this? And so how hard is it going to be for me? And not to avoid it because it's hard, but to remind yourself that you're very capable of doing hard things. And I think that's where the self-esteem bit comes in is that you need to believe that you're capable of doing difficult things because habit change is difficult even if you know full well that the outcome is going to mean that your life is better than it is now, to change the status quo and to go into the unknown and to put your body ultimately in discomfort when it's automatically used to doing
2: something is going to be difficult. And for that, you need um, self-belief, I believe. So one of the tools, I think, in your book a method is... To give yourself examples, isn't it, of when you've done something that was really difficult to to kind of give your give your brain the evidence that you've done something, you know, maybe quite a few things that are tricky before and therefore you can do this one thing.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's really, really important. I think a lot of the time we achieve something and then we normalize it. We move on to the next or even trivialize it. it. I see that a lot with people. Yeah. Yeah, massively so. And when it comes to personal development, it's it's not like professional development where we have a CV. And we can say, "Okay, well, I managed to do this last year, and I got through this really traumatic time and this this really difficult time, which probably means that my capacity when it comes to this or this is different. or me, for example, I used to be described you know you could describe me as a really hasty person, as a really kind of erratic and inconsistent person, and I'm just not anymore, and I think that that knowledge should be something
2: that was so, that's sort of updated, so that maybe we do need. Personal yeah. development CV. So well, I love don't don't I- give it away. <laughs> I love the idea of that. You heard this, it here. Is I know. this your new book by any chance?
1: I've been spreading the word like wildfire
2: because I don't know whether I want to bring it into schools, bring it in early on. Well, you were talking about what we're not taught in schools earlier, weren't yeah. You? And when you said personal development CV, I thought I could really see the value of kids doing that.
1: Well, yeah, because we define ourselves differently professionally depending on our achievements and what we're proud of. You know, we don't mind saying, okay, now I can command this much money because I can use this software and I can manage this many people, whereas five years ago, I couldn't. Mm. Fine, we don't have any problem owning that. But when it comes to saying, now I'm more boundaried because last year when it came to (laughs) dealing with my father, I learned how to communicate in a way that I'm really proud of. We just don't have that. Mm. And I think it's such a shame because then we start defining ourselves as we would have done when we were 14 or 15, when teachers and siblings and people projecting their stuff onto us told us who we were at a time when we were looking out to the world to tell us who we were and you know we've changed considerably since then and even if you go through life having never intentionally put a challenge in front of yourself you will have invariably demonstrated all sorts of transferable qualities that you that can help you when it comes to things like habit change when it comes to things like not snapping at someone or having better communication in your relationship so yeah that's my ambition but if anyone else does it now then you heard this it here. has been trademarked <laughs> yeah, today <absolutely>. by Sheree.
2: <laughs> I've got a few questions I'd like to finish up with that I ask everybody on the podcast. Please um, do. And I think some of them we've, we've probably actually covered while we've been talking, but if you've got a message to people listening... What is the one thing you'd like to say to people listening to this podcast about their phone habits?
1: The desire to do something does not force you to do it. A craving and an urge has come about as a result of you getting used to something and your body getting used to something. But your body wanting something doesn't mean you need to follow through. And the fastest way to make it not want it so much is to not listen to it. Don't obey it just because mm. it's in discomfort. You get to decide whether an urge is an alert or a command and it will feel less like a command over time if you consecutively practice not obeying it.
2: I actually, when I first met you, it was revolutionary, the idea <laughs> that that you didn't always have to obey an urge. And it sounds so basic now, doesn't it? It sounds so straightforward, but it is one of those things I think that really helps the thought that you can listen to something and think that's interesting, but I don't necessarily need to, no. need to act on it.
1: And I think also please remember that in the short term it will be really hard.
2: Yeah. But the yeah. idea
1: is that if you keep doing it over and over again, you will learn that nothing bad's going to happen when you do. Yeah. And over time it will stop being such, um, such a pull. So that's the investment that you're making. Don't be demoralized by the fact that it's hard weeks in and you feel like you're white knuckling it. The whole point is that you are putting yourself in front of something difficult on purpose so that it's not difficult anymore.
2: And don't worry that it doesn't take 21 days or don't 100 worry days about any or any of those rules. <laughs> 2 weeks. Any <laughs> rules
1: about humans don't you know take with a pinch of salt. We're too complex now and and plus there's so many unprecedented things in our environment that we've never even it's I I don't know. I'm not a big subscriber to hard and fast rules when it comes to humans.
2: Mm. I'm not. So have you got a top tip that you haven't shared already around you and how you use your phone? I'm loving these times of day folders. I'm going to try those afterwards. But is there anything else that you do that kind of helps with imposing friction or just gives you a bit more control over your phone habits?
1: I tend to notice at what times I'm doing what. If I'm shopping late at night, like if I've had a glass of wine and I start shopping, not a good idea. So I tend to kind of look at what habits are coming together hmm. to make my resolve in one area. So that's, lower. that's
2: tiredness and alcohol. Tiredness together. and alcohol yeah. for
1: me yeah. means that I'm going to buy something that tomorrow I could have done with not buying. And of course, as you well know, very often the, the environment in which we purchase something is almost has no friction at all in it, almost. And the environment that's imposed on us to return something
2: is full of friction. So, you know, that actually <laughs> has a name. We're called vampire shoppers if we shop at night. and the retail industry are now targeting that late night shopping and they're seeing it boom more and more people are doing that kind of impulse shopping really last thing at night so actually it's something that probably quite a lot of people Mm. struggle with the other
1: thing i do is i consider direct messages texts and whatsapps as the same way i would an email Mm. so i so you don't respond immediately no, not yeah. unless it's urgent or whatever. When it comes to doing my admin for the day and replying to my messages, I almost wish there was an app that brought everything together. Yeah, I know an app for an app is another. Yeah. It's
2: just compounding the problem again. But... but there are so many channels, aren't there? Yeah, there You're are all these different all channels. You're checking all the different WhatsApp, you know, yeah. iMessage, DMs, emails. I agree. It's, it's overwhelming. So yeah. And so
1: what I've done is I've just created a list on my desk of all the sources of messages that I have now, of which there are probably about half a dozen main ones. And I just, I make a list of them and I check all of them once a day and that's it. And if there's anything to action or respond to, I do. But also I think learning that everything is not an emergency and Mm. a red receipt is not a contract. And very often, you know, we never even gave ourselves a chance to use our phones differently. We just adopted these habits. Mm. And again, they're unprecedented. So I think very often people are pleasantly surprised. You put your phone in the other room, you do stop thinking about yeah. it. You yeah, know. it works.
2: Yeah, I agree. You don't yeah. look at your
1: phone the first 15 minutes of the day, nothing happens. And then you do do that over and over again and you realize nothing happens. I think we were told how we should use this stuff based on the people who created it. Mm. And now we, we're kind of going, hold on, No, (laughs) this is imposing on my life in a way that I wasn't ready for. It's sprinkling itself across every aspect of my life and I don't want it to. So we're undoing something we didn't necessarily consciously go into Mm. and we may not have even needed in the first place. But I think also now we have a different kind of addict and that is the kind who never even knew how they how we got into this. Yeah. And we can just undo it because the need, it wasn't filling a huge hole in our lives. It's just a new opportunity to get a dopamine hit, you know. And we are going to need a way because frankly, it's, it's only yeah. getting better at what it does and more intuitive. Then. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So my last question is, what have you learned about yourself from your phone habits? Is there anything that... Has surprised you? Or... Yeah. Do
1: you know, going on Instagram, I've learned that I'm so much more concerned with what my friends think of me than what strangers think of me.
2: That's, that's interesting. Because <laughs> we always hear the opposite, don't we, with yeah. Instagram? That why are we worried about total strangers? Gosh.
1: No, I think it's imposter syndrome. I think it's thinking like, oh, who does she think she is going oh. around giving people advice when we've all grown up together, you know? I think that's that, that showing off thing. Yeah, exactly. It, thing? <laughs> yeah. And I think it is the showing off thing because of the promotion element. You know, I also... Go, I come from a culture where... You know this idea of someone casting a evil eye on you if you show off about what you have etc yeah. and instagram is literally that you it's know you need to make people syndrome, jealous and- we call it isn't
2: it you know the, if you if you say look at me i'm really good at this that's it you're yeah. gonna be cut down exactly
1: yeah. and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. drop
2: Yeah. and um yeah that's probably one thing that i've noticed so how do you deal with that how do you deal with being what do you do you kind of say to friends, look, you know, I post all this stuff because I'm promoting what I do and I know you still remember me as... No, they've, you know, they've
1: of... never done anything to so you, uh, other yeah. than be proud it's and just supportive you. of it's me. It's what's going on in your head. Yeah, so yeah. that's
2: what I've observed in
1: myself yeah. is that what's your fear? What do you think? Why, why do you doubt yourself? Because none of your friends do. They all mm. think I'm... I'm extraordinarily lucky they all applaud me they listen to all my podcasts they've they've all read my book and reviewed it and just lovely lovely people all around me but that's one thing I observed which I found quite interesting is that the opinions of people I knew were more interesting than the opinions of strangers which actually now that I say it it's probably a good thing yeah
2: that is a good thing (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't expect
1: it to go that way
2: Oh so thank you i I could talk to you all day I know as fun. we're as we're exploring all of this, I'm feeling why can't I make this a double length episode? but <laughs> um I am going to end here because I know how busy you are, so I want to just say thanks so much for chatting to me. I want to say to everyone listening for any tips, inspiration, and techniques that definitely work for managing behavioral change. Please follow Sharu um, Sharu Azadi on Twitter and the underscore kindness underscore method on Instagram, and do go and get a copy of the Kindness Method from Amazon and all good bookshops. I can't recommend it enough. I was trying to find my copy this morning. I realised it's now with the second person I've lent it to. Oh, that's lovely. So that's how good it is. I really think it's one of those books that's life-changing. And I know you've got another book coming out next. I do, I have another book coming. Well, the first book's coming out all around the world this year in various
1: different places, which is exciting. So it's starting in the Netherlands in June and then in America in July. And then in January of next year, I will be publishing a book again with Pan Macmillan,
2: this time about habit change around food. Fantastic, Yeah. Uh, and book three, I hope, will be on the emotional CV. I hope so. Or tech. <laughs> yes, or tech. <laughs> um, lovely. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at All Good Bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com.